And these three parables comprise the lost parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, which I would retitle the lost son because I like consistency and it bothers me that in my Bible the third one is not following that same line. So we're going to call it the lost son. All right, when McClendon was about five years old, that's our oldest, he went through this Ninja Turtle phase. And Michelangelo, that's the orange one in case you don't know, was his favorite. Now he had this teeny tiny Lego figure sized Mikey. And sitting on Mikey's shoulder was an even tinier turtle that McClendon for some reason named Johnny. And on a visit to, my, uh, to visit my grandmother, McClendon lost Johnny. Now, he came to this realization after he had been playing in her yard and in this massive, empty field next to her house. So, of course, losing Johnny was devastating to five-year-old McClendon, and so what else is a parent going to do but search for this tiny turtle, this proverbial needle in a haystack, right? This thing was about the size of an acorn, maybe a little smaller, about the same color, and here Rob, myself, my mom are just combing through this field, hoping that we might just stumble upon this tiny little turtle. Well, it felt like a futile exercise for sure. We all longed for McClendon to be reunited with this special treasure, He was sad. We were hopeless. What could be done? Well, losing things and being lost are meant to induce certain emotional responses. Uh, So we're finding and being found. And that's exactly what Jesus is addressing in these three stories. So look with me at Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, as Jesus often did, he didn't respond to their critique directly, but rather tells some stories. We see that a lot. He does it again. We're going to read the first two brief parables together, and then you're going to read the third one to yourself and then have an activity around your table. So let's read the first two parables. And he told them, verse 3, this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has, he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. And then the next one, verse 8. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over the sinner who repents. Uh, You probably noticed that the first two parables more emphasize the person who has lost something valuable, while the third one focuses, at least at the beginning of the story, on the thing or the person, rather, that was actually lost. And also this third longer parable gives us a more nuanced picture of lostness and recovery. But make, mo- make no mistake, and this is important, the focus of each of these parables is the person who has lost something, their response to having lost it, 
and their response to having recovered it. So we're going to start with this idea of lostness. So what does it mean to be lost? Well, just a simple dictionary definition gives us this, this idea that you don't have it any longer, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin, I don't have it. Um, but also this idea of having gone astray or missed the way. The sun is lost in this way. You may have found yourself lost on a trail, driving somewhere, lost your mom in the grocery store when you were a kid. But also this idea of not used to a good purpose, as in lost opportunities, time, labor, wasted, right? How many times have you lost time to scrolling through Instagram or other things that you think, oh, that was maybe not the best use, that was wasted time, perhaps? Well, in the parable of the sheep, we see an animal that naturally follows its own appetite. It's bent, head's bent to the ground, it's eating grass, it's unaware of anything else but what it wants. And so the sheep goes where the grass is, and before long it finds itself far away from its shepherd. This seems like a rather accidental loss. In the parable of the coin, we see an object. It's a valuable object, but it's still just an object, and it's been misplaced. It's not where it's supposed to be. And therefore, it can't be spent, it can't be saved, and it's useless to the woman who has lost it, and she is devastated. But in the third parable, we see the lost thing, now the most precious something of all. Not just a sheep or money, but a son. And he is choosing to sort of get lost. So no matter how the thing gets lost, all three are nevertheless in this state of lostness. So what is Jesus trying to get us to understand about lostness? Well, we're going to look at lostness two separate ways, as this idea of uselessness and this idea of dead to sin. As the Father said, this brother of yours was dead, dead in sin. All right, I want to start first with this idea of uselessness. So the Bible tells us that God created us for his purposes. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? This is the purpose that he has for us. Think back to last week, as Rob taught on Luke 13, the man with the fig tree, right? He had this fig tree in his vineyard. He kept coming year after year looking for fruit. It didn't bear fruit. And he says, just cut it down. Like, it's just, why is it even using up the ground? The tree was planted to bear fruit. It wasn't, and so it was useless. It was a loss to the owner. Similarly, we find ourselves outside of God's kingdom, and when we are, we are unable to serve our intended purpose. Just like, have you ever locked your keys in your car, right? Can't get them. Where's Anna Maria? Girl, sorry. <laughs> I've, been, I've been there with you, right? They're useless. Can't get in your car. Can't drive your car. It doesn't how much. You love those keys, want those keys, desire them to be in your possession. Those keys are useless to you. Well, what good are trees or branches that don't bear fruit, right? They're no good. And it's a sobering reality that Jesus describes them as being cut down and thrown into the fire. This is essentially what all of us do with things that are useless to us, right? We discard them. We have no relationship with them. Now, does that mean that we serve mere utilitarian purposes to God and that he's callous towards the lost? Not at all, and we're going to see that. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Renovation of the Heart, says we are not lost because we're going to wind up in the wrong place, as if there's some faded future out in front of us that determines our present state of lostness. He says we're going to wind up in the wrong place 
because we're lost. Death or hell is the natural outcome of our condition unless that condition changes. Now, Jesus is not making a value judgment here that lost people are worthless, but rather he's describing this objective reality based on this creative order, right? God created us to be in a certain place for certain purposes, and when we're outside of that, we are lost and useless to those purposes. Proverbs 14:12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So this lost state described in Luke 13, the parable of the fig tree that Rob talked about last week, is the state of unfruitfulness. It's also the state of spiritual uselessness, and it's also the state of spiritual deadness. A dead tree cannot bear fruit. So this is what Paul describes in both Ephesians and Colossians as the condition of humanity. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. That means that our disobedience to God, and we can call that disobedience lots of words. We can describe that as treachery or rebellion, even uselessness. But that state ultimately leads to death. Just as these three parables of lost things picture two options, right? There's a state of being in the owner's possession or a state of being with the father. But then there's this opposite state the state of being out of their possession, the state of lost. So we too have two possibilities, two options for living our lives on this earth. Our way, as described in the New Testament as the way of the flesh, this is our natural state, or we have God's way characterized by the Holy Spirit. And these paths lead to very, two very different yet very certain outcomes. Romans 8, 5 and 6 says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7 goes on to say, Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. So this natural state of the human heart that the word is describing here is this natural bent toward the flesh, that which is focused on earthly, temporal things. And it's rebellious towards God. It yields to self-love over God-love. And it's here that I want to interject that you may not know the definition of prodigal, as it talks here of the prodigal son. I always thought it meant lost or maybe even perhaps returning from being lost but prodigal actually means wastefully or recklessly extravagant giving or yielding profusely lavish lavishly abundant this idea of just living this lavish life right just yielding to every want of the flesh's desire and craving but these two conditions flesh spirit with God, or flesh meaning with away from God, and spirit with God. These are the only two conditions that humans have ever found themselves in. And if we think there's a third option, there's not. From the beginning in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve lived in God's presence, they were there, a part of his life. But then throughout history, we've lived in the consequences of Adam and Eve's crucial choice of independence. See, they did exactly what the prodigal son chose. They said, Dad, I don't need you. Just give me the money and let me do my thing. And when God dismissed them to the life of their own choosing, which was independence, he spoke of their sad consequence in Genesis 4.12. He said, you will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Essentially, you will be lost without me. 
Willard goes on to say in the renovation of the heart, lost persons in Christian terms are precisely the ones who mistake their own person for God. Haven't we all chosen independence over dependence? A life that we make for ourselves, a life where we would prefer to call the shots, we would prefer to be God instead of rely on the creator himself to reign over us. And there we find ourselves lost. We're not on the path to life, so we're just wandering in the wilderness without the source of life. And that only has one logical conclusion, death. But let's not miss the point here. While there's so much to learn about lostness, the emphasis of these three parables is on the one who has lost something. Watchman Nee was a Chinese pastor in the first half of the 19th century. He wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life, which I would very much recommend to you. It's called The Normal Christian Life. And in it, he says, it is not a question of what the son suffers, speaking here of the prodigal son, but of what the father loses. He is the sufferer. He is the loser. A sheep is lost. Whose is the loss? Whose loss is the sheep? The shepherd's. A coin is lost. Whose lost is it? The woman's. A son is lost. Whose loss is it? The father's. The father is the one who has experienced loss. Jesus is emphasizing God's state here as the one who has lost something of infinite value. And this is key, because if we are able to come to this realization as the prodigal son does, that our independent life is basically crap, right? It's, it's no good. It's worthless. But then we also recognize that we are powerless to do anything about it. See, God has to want us back. And praise the Lord, Jesus describes the tremendous effort exerted to make careful search for that lost sheep and that lost coin. Praise the Lord, God came to find us and to provide a way for us to come home. That brings us to this idea of found. What does it mean to be found? You might think of that hymn, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. So am I responsible for finding God, or do I wait for him to come find me? What, what happens when he does find me, and and does that change? This? Should I look different, being lost versus being found? What does that even mean? Well, a few chapters later, in 19, Luke 19, verse 10, Luke records Jesus' mission statement as this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission to save us from ourselves and to point the way back home to God, to reconcile us to the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's a claim of exclusivity that a lot of people bow up their back at. And I've often thought of that as Jesus is the gatekeeper to God, right? Kind of trying to keep people away from God, but not at all. He's the lighthouse pointing people to God. This is the way. It's the only way, so don't miss it. He encourages us. So what started in Ephesians 2 as horrible news that we are dead in our trespasses and sins leads us to this relief that God is rich in mercy. He chose to make us alive together with Christ. He extends his grace towards us, offering us a way home. How is this even possible? 
Well, the prophet Isaiah describes us a lot like that sheep that was lost in the parable. He said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, that rebellion, independence, treachery. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin of us all, to fall on him. He's foretelling here the coming Messiah who would be that perfect sacrificial lamb, taking our sins upon himself and bearing them to the cross in our place. He leaves the 99, as we so often sing. 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Okay, that's awesome news, right? God comes to find us through Jesus. So do, like, my kids love to play hide and seek. They go find a hiding place, and they're getting pretty good at it, by the way. And then they sit there and go, come find me. I'm over here. Mommy. You know, they're giving me these little clues. I'm like, the whole point is to, like, to not say anything, right? But I think sometimes we treat God like that. Like, I'm over here, God. If you really want me, come find me, right? You're going to have to come and get me. <clears throat> but not so fast. Let's look back again at that third parable of the lost son. Luke 15, 18 through 20, the son says, I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. Finding or that reconciliation takes two willing parties. Both must desire to be reconciled. God has to want to find us, but we have to want to be found. And that means recognizing that life with God is so much better than life without him. We have to repent. That was the message of last week's uh, message through Luke 13. Jesus said, repent or you too likewise will perish. That was his warning, not a threat, but a warning of that sobering reality. But the prodigal son wasn't sure what he would find when he returned home. Would his dad be angry, unforgiving, dismissive? Maybe he's moved on without him. So that brings us to our third and last topic, restoration and rejoicing. Let's look at Luke 15, 21 through 24. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. The father calls him son, not good for nothing, not lost cause, but son. And the son doesn't return to a bunch of, son, I told you so, or you should have known better, but to compassion and mercy and great, great joy. God wants you for his son or his daughter. He wants you to be his child, and to be his child is to live as his child, not lost and as good as dead. One more Watchman Nee quote. In that same book, The Normal Christian Life, he says, God is seeking full-grown sons, but he doesn't stop even there. 
For he does not want his sons to live in a barn or in a garage or a field. He wants them in his home. He wants them to share in his glory. Sonship, the full expression of his son Jesus, is God's goal. He sets himself to have sons, and to have sons mature and responsible with him in glory. To be found is to share in Christ's glory, to enjoy life in the Father's house with all the rights and privileges of being his child, but also living dependently and obediently as a child, now one of the 99 who willingly stay put. God rejoices and celebrates in the way any good parent would after a child has been lost and then found, or the way any shepherd would when a sheep has been lost and then found, or the way anyone would when money has been lost and then found. Get it, guys? You matter. Your homecoming is a cause for great joy in heaven and among the people of God. You see, in each parable, friends are invited to come and join the celebration. Rejoice with me, each one proclaims. They're grabbing their neighbors, their family, their friends. Come party with me. Care about what I care about. Value what I value. God bids us. But we see in this third parable that there is one who doesn't rejoice. In fact, he's far more resentful than rejoicing. That older son and brother chooses instead to pout. You never threw a party for me, he whines. Now I find myself both a little annoyed with that older brother, but also pretty much relating to him as well. On the one hand, I want to say, don't be so grumpy, but also... I often carry that same begrudging attitude. But God, aren't you pleased with me? Don't you rejoice over me too, God? I'm trying to do all the right things, be faithful, stay out of trouble, check all the right boxes. Is it all for nothing? Of course not. God sees those things, and he rewards each of us in his own time and in his own way. But catch this. Like the older brother, we can be in the house of God, acquainted with God, and even serve God, and yet miss his heart. His desire, his will, and his mission is to seek and to save that which is lost. So, as we end, I want you to think about which character do you most identify with? If you aren't living in relationship with God in his house, Know that he is seeking you in many ways. He's coming back regularly to check. Are you bearing fruit? He's tending. He's fertilizing, to use last week's metaphor of the tree. Know that he is patiently waiting for you to recognize your state and choose repentance. But know this. Like the father of the prodigal son, he will let you live apart from his will if you so insist. If you don't want a relationship with him, he will not force it on you. You must ultimately choose for yourself. Do you want to try to be your own God, or do you want God to be your God? As Moses told the Israelites before they entered the promised land, I placed today before you both life and death, blessing and curse. So if you find yourself like the prodigal son in a pit of some sort of your own making, wondering if you could ever be accepted back, into God's family and his home again? No, the answer is yes. Compassion, mercy, and forgiveness await you. 
But if you find yourself maybe a little bit more like me, identifying with the Pharisees, wondering, why was Jesus so friendly with sinners? And why does he want to send me out of my comfort zone to befriend them too? Or like the older brother, wondering if God even notices your service to him and if he cares. Yes, he does notice and he does care. But he invites us to lift our gaze above ourselves and our own favor that we enjoy with him. And he invites us into his mission, the ministry of reconciliation. And he invites us to enter into his joy over seeing the lost being found. That is his mission for you and for me and for all who have been found. Do you remember my story at the beginning of McClendon losing Johnny the tiny turtle? Well, at some point in my search, my mom said to McClendon, McClendon, I am praying fervently for that little turtle to turn up. And I sheepishly said, I have been too. And then Rob pops up, yeah, I've been praying too. And we all felt a little bit silly about praying for this stupid little toy to be found. Does God really honor prayers like that? Well, we gave up the search and we went back into my grandmother's house. And then a few minutes later, my dad walks in the door. He had been walking the dog and he said, is this that tiny little turtle you were looking for? Do you see how tiny this thing is? He said, well, I was walking the dog and I thought I might as well keep an eye out for it. And he said, I looked down in the gutter and lo and behold, there was Johnny. You never saw such rejoicing. What a sweet answer to prayer. What a gracious God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are incredibly gracious. Lord, you value us more than we value ourselves. And you long for us to be found in your house and in your kingdom and in your family, enjoying relationship with you, bearing fruit for your good purposes, walking in those good works that you prepared long ago. If only we would walk in them. If only we would trust you that your way is better than ours. And that life with you is life indeed, and life apart from you is actually death. Lord, we thank you so much that you came to seek and to save with that which is lost, that you provide a way for us to come back home through repentance. God, may we do that today, and may we rejoice over those who make that decision to come home. God, may we continue to rejoice, Lord, as we join you in that ministry of reconciliation, longing to see more sheep found, more lost sons and daughters come home. For your glory, Lord, that your name would be made great. Amen.